Well, good morning. My name is Marco. Uh, so glad to have you guys here with us this morning in the midst of what appeared to be uh, some sort of a, a, a run. Maybe it was a 5K or something. Nothing I would do. Um, <laughs> just being honest, <laughs> one of our values is transparency, and I feel like I should just communicate that on the spot. Uh, nevertheless, my name is Marco. I am uh, uh, the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church, so thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we are starting, or we started, I should say, a, a new series. We started it last week called uh, Disciples Making Disciples. And so if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Hope you enjoy this. If you've been with us for some time, I hope uh, last week was, uh, for lack of a better word, good for you in the sense that it was driven by conviction in light of what we see in God's Word, in light of what we see Him uh, uh, who he says we are. Uh, but nevertheless, we're, we find ourselves in a, in a new series called Disciples Making Disciples. This week, um, what we're looking at, or today what we're looking at, is us as worshipers of God. So when we begin to talk about disciples making disciples, uh, part of the reason we decided on running with and starting the year with a topical series uh, is because we value discipleship here so much. Uh, it is one of our core values because it was the final instructions left to us by Jesus, uh, and, and we so wholeheartedly believe in discipleship and discipling of one another that we would go as far to say that as a, uh, if we are not making disciples, then by definition and according to Matthew 28, we would not be considered a church. And so we see disciples and discipleship making central to our lives as, as Christians. And so I thought that walking through this five-week series, I thought what better way to expand on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean uh, for me personally or for you uh, as an individual? What does it mean when I say, yeah, I follow Jesus, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus? And so what exactly does that mean? What kind of an effect does that have on and in my life? And so we're walking through this five-week series. We're on week two. In addition to that, and we'll talk more about this later on, uh, we're going to be pairing a class next week on discipleship basics. Uh, essentially, on Sunday, we're looking at this 30,000-foot view in terms of disciples and discipleship making, whereas on Monday nights, we're going to get a little bit more... Uh, we're not going to take this 30,000 foot view, but I don't know, the, the word escapes me. But essentially what we're going to do is we're going to become a little bit more grounded on the practical application of what it means to make disciples. Because I would, I would submit this to you, discipleship making is not only the role of church leadership, that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, your primary role is to make disciples, right? That's what, what's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. So this is a responsibility, a duty, a call that we all share, not just church leadership, and today, as we look at, uh, so real quick, actually, last week we looked at our gospel identity, and, and the crux of our time was that our identity determines our activity. 
And so if we say that we are followers of Jesus, that we submit ourselves to, to his word, then that determines our activity. And over the course of these next few weeks, beginning with today, we're going to be looking at a little bit more of that activity piece. But last week we needed to identify the identity part. So when it comes to where we find ourselves today, what we're going to look at is being worshipers of God in the context of Sunday mornings. We could look at several other things. What does it look like to worship God at your work? What does it look like to worship God generally throughout the week in your family, with your friends? We can look at several other avenues to talk about us as worshipers. And what I've decided is let's look at uh, ourselves as worshipers of God uh, in the context of Sunday morning. And primarily, I wanted to go into Sunday morning because oftentimes, and I'll repeat this later on, oftentimes I think we view Sunday as the end of the week, whereas biblically it's the start of the week. That's number one. Number two, uh, oftentimes when we show up to Sunday mornings or to the Sunday gathering, we're not necessarily always prepared to worship. And uh, I'll dive into some, of exa- some examples into that, uh, in that later, later on. But nevertheless, here's what I'll do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read where we're going to be at. We're going to find ourselves in Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at two verses, verses uh, 15 through 17. Once again, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Uh, as you're opening or loading your Bible, I'll go ahead and read. Then I'll pray and uh, we'll, we'll begin our time with a short uh, illustration. So this is, this is the Word of God in Colossians. And so Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Join me in prayer. Lord, as we prepare our time for the preached word, Lord, I pray a few things. Number one, that I would be removed, that I would be set aside, and that ultimately it would be your Holy Spirit who who speaks through me for the purpose of convicting and compelling your people uh, to, man, to, to, to feel vulnerable for a minute for the purpose of confession and repentance of their sins so that we would be led to worship you so that we would be led to remember your son's redemptive work on the cross. Finally, I pray that this time would, uh, would bring you glory. Uh, not us, but that it would bring you glory and that your name would be made famous in this time. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so much like last week, we looked at uh, the, the, the punchline or, or the mantra of last week was your identity, or excuse me, uh, your identity determines uh, your activity. Much like last week, we're going to be looking at something a little bit similar, where today it's uh, we are shaped by what we worship. We are shaped by what we worship. 
And what we worship helps to shape how we live. Now, a lot of this is a play on words in light of some of the things that we've talked about over the past couple of months. It could be anything from identity, determines activity, what you believe shapes how you live. All of that finds itself in the same category or in the same family of where we find ourselves today, right? So we are shaped by what we worship, and we're going to be looking practically on how what we worship affects uh, the rest of our week and the rest of our lives. And I'll give you a, a short example, even an illustration to better communicate that piece. Um, uh, by show of hands, how many of you at some point were, were or are athletes? Right? Okay, cool. What about artists or, or musicians? Business owners? Right? There you go. Maybe you're like, I'm none of those. Do you have a morning routine? Is anybody? Three of us. Yes. Yes. Right? I will find myself in the morning routine more than I find myself on a barbell. And so, nevertheless, we are shaped by what we worship. Now, why I bring up the athletes and the musicians and uh, even the morning routine or the business owners is those are all disciplines that you pour money into, you pour time into, you invest in them, you put a great deal of value in them to better help you work through your week, your confidence, whatever it is that you need to, to do. And so rather than looking at athletes and all the cool stuff that I think I would normally tend towards, uh, I'll look at specifically the morning routine. I have a Monday morning routine. I got to keep it. I need it. It keeps me alive. It keeps me going. And part of the reason it keeps me going is because it helps me uh, better approach my, my week. And when my Monday routine is like thrown off, I'm thrown off. I find myself late on deadlines. I find myself behind on communication. Maybe that's, that's just me. Some of you are nodding yes, so you, you totally get what I'm saying, right? And so it starts off the same way. I wake up my son. It's at 6 a.m. We get breakfast together, take him to school, come home, make coffee, read for a little bit, and then I'll start administrative tasks, one of them is laundry while I can get on my computer and, and start working through emails and all these other things and building my task lists. I've just given you a picture of nerddom. Anyway, uh, so, but nonetheless, like that's, that's my routine. Like I do that like all of the time. Monday helps me. And so I invest time, I invest money, I pour energy into that so that it can better help me approach and carry out the rest of my week. You guys follow with me on that? Okay. Very similarly, when we're looking at what we worship and being shaped by that, if we are followers of Jesus, then his redemptive work on the cross impacts how we live specifically Monday through Saturday. And we're ultimately going to be looking at why Sundays find themselves significant. And the reason I say that is because not only do we think sometimes Sunday is the end of the week, right? But the other part of it is sometimes we view Sundays as merely a weekly event rather than a gospel-centered rhythm. A routine, practice, developing your craft, whatever it is your thing is and however it is you do it, it's for the same reason, to develop rhythms, a morning routine is nothing but a rhythm, but it's a rhythm I feel I need in an effort to carry out the rest of my week, to feel better prepared, to be ahead of the game, right? 
The reason you practice, whether it's uh, your athleticism or, or whatever discipline you find yourself in, or, or if you're a musician, when you practice your instrument, or if you're an artist, when you invest into uh, your craft, the, rhythm, the, the reason you do various things at different or specific times is because those are rhythms that help shape you as you invest in that discipline. You following me on that? I'm, I'm trying not to go fast. That was my critique last week by a friend at a meeting. He said, you speak really fast and you weren't on coffee. And I'm on coffee today. So I'm trying to chill, right? But you, you get what I'm saying, right? All that that you're doing, like a morning routine, we'll just stick to that. With the morning routine, that's a rhythm that helps you approach everything else. So when we're looking at Sunday morning specifically and specifically as worshipers of God, we need to understand that everything that we do on Sunday morning is intentional, it's purposeful, and they are specific gospel-centered rhythms that we provide for you, the church, to prime your heart so that you can get ahead of the week. Right? So that you can get ahead of the week. Everything starts today. Everything in which we do on Sunday mornings starts, helps you start today. And so we'll look at that in just a bit. Let's get a little bit personal. This is Colossians 3.15. Paul writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I love that Paul begins by addressing the peace of Christ. Now, if, if you're new or if that sounds kind of fancy and you're like, okay, expand on the, the peace of Christ. Here's what the peace of Christ means. The peace of Christ means that if you have been rescued by Jesus, you are no longer at war with God. Okay? That you are no longer at war with God. Here, here's what I mean by that. Apart from a relationship with God, at one point you were an enemy of God, which puts you in opposition to God. One theologian, the late R.C. Sproul, said that sin is cosmic treason. Okay? Now, upon Jesus entering into our lives and rescuing us from ourselves, we no longer are enemies of God. We are now friends. We are now chosen. We are now His children. And so when we say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, what, we're, what Paul is saying is, number one, if you belong to Christ, you are no longer at war with God. Number two, that directly affects how you grow and interact with one another as the church. He says we're one body. And so what Christ has done, what Christ has done directly affects how we communicate, grow, and interact with one another. And it's incredibly important on Sunday morning because even on Sunday mornings, we can feel divided among one another, right? Even on Sunday mornings, something else could be tugging at us, and it's not the peace of Christ. And so Sunday mornings, with respect to the peace of Christ, 
is significant because number one, I don't want you to pay attention to your heart because your heart is deceptive. Number two, I want you to hold fast to what Christ says. So to what God says. And so that's allowing the peace of Christ to rule within us so that we aren't divided. That doesn't mean that things don't get hairy. That doesn't mean that things don't get uh, rough or tough sometimes. And that doesn't mean that the life of the church, and I'm speaking to us here, that the life of the church it does not mean that it's never going to be messy. In fact, it's quite the contrary, right? It's going to be messy, just like your life is messy, just like Thanksgiving with everybody at the house is chaotic and messy and uh, interesting and unique at times, right? All of those things can still, or better yet, all of those things are going to happen in the life of the church. And we can still allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And why Paul starts with that, why I want to start with this verse, is because as Christians, we are quick to forget who we are and easily default to who we were. Follow me on that? Okay? We are quick to forget who we are and easily default to who we were. And in that moment of default, in that moment of default, something other than Jesus is ruling your heart. You got to do business with that because I don't know what's ruling your heart right now. But I can tell you it's not the peace of Christ. Right? Something else. When you default to who you were, something else other than Jesus is ruling your heart. Okay? And so that's what Paul is getting at as he primes us for the rest of his talk in, in verse 15. Additionally, I would submit Psalm 37 4 to you. This is what the psalmist says He says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a really popular verse, right? It's often one that is taken out of context, right? Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I just need that truck, right? Uh, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I don't know what your thing is. Submit. What would be a thing, right? What's a valley thing? Give me that free boltana, right? And so like whatever, whatever your thing is, right? But, but this is what the psalmist is saying in, in that psalm, right? This is what he's saying. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you Jesus. That's what he is saying. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you Jesus. Right? So that he is who rules in our hearts. Right? So that he is who rules in our hearts. So that we are not only governed by him, but so that our will is aligned with his. It's what we talked about last week in, in Matthew 6 and what we even prayed earlier. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's us aligning our wills with him. That's us conforming our wills to his. And then that's us saying that our delight is when God accomplishes his will. But in order to get there, the peace of Christ must be what rules 
in our hearts. So if there's something else ruling your heart right now, not only do business with it, but repent and place your eyes on Jesus as we talk more about our time on Sundays. Verse 16. Okay. Verse 16. Let the word, excuse me, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, real quick, what I would what I would add to, or what I would what I would preface in light of Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings serve, and, and this is this ties into that. But Sunday mornings or Sunday gathering aims at not only preparing us to worship, but also exposes our hearts to what we worship or what we're worshiping outside of Jesus at the moment. Right, And so when we look at Colossians 3.16, he's now saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing you with songs uh, and thankfulness to your hearts. Here, here's what he's getting at. And then we'll get really practical. What he's getting at is that the words of Christ are implanted in us through the Holy Spirit. And this is incredibly significant because when the words of Christ and the Holy Spirit unite they satisfy our thirst. They satisfy our thirst. When the words of Christ and the Holy Spirit unite, they satisfy our thirst. And I'll prove it to you via Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. The writer says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And its lead does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The word prosper in verse 3 is on the condition of submitting to, meditating on, the word of God. So it questions motivation. Right? That's what it begins to touch on. Right? So there's the condition. The condition is that we find ourselves planted like a, like a tree near a stream of water that is healthy and rooted in the Word of Christ. And so when we find ourselves rooted in God's Word, when we find ourselves submitting to God's Word, what happens is that it reveals our need for Jesus. So now let's get into the practical. So it's like, okay, I, I kind of see where you're getting at. Still, what, is, what does this have to do with Sunday morning? Everything, and, I, and this is the part where I said I'd be a little bit repetitive. Everything that we do here on Sunday morning is incredibly intentional for the purpose of pointing you and us to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. So from how we start to how we finish is incredibly intentional. So when he's talking about letting the word of Christ dwell in you, one of the things that we value here is preaching the word of God. My primary job, not my only job, but my primary job is to teach and preach the word of God. I'm to feed you good nutrition. I'm like a spiritual nutritionist, if you will, right? And so I am to feed you sound biblical theology that is rooted in the word of God. And where we get some of that from, uh, we can look to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 2, verse 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How that plays into us preaching the Word is that we preach Jesus. We preach His redemptive work. We go through the Bible and books of the Bible and verse by verse to present Jesus. I don't want to present myself unless it's in all of my failures because that's kind of a teaching thing. Other than that, I want to point you to Jesus and his redemptive work. We want to do so faithfully and we hope to do so humbly to preach Jesus. Additionally, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Part of my job is to to feed the Word to you so that you would grow in your understanding, in your maturity, in your spiritual maturity of who God says you are and what God is doing. Part of me is to give you some teaching so that you find yourself planted in His Word. Okay. That's the first one. And uh, for some reason, I chose not to go in order. The next one is prayer. Right before I came up, we did the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay, so this is uh, Jesus' words in, in Luke five thirty-one to 32. Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to... But those who are sick, I have come to... Not to... Oh my gosh. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The reason we have specific moments of prayer, specifically corporate prayer, like the Lord's Prayer, the reason we have that is because prayer exposes our pride and invites humility. As a church, when we uh, recite the Lord's Prayer, when we recite the Lord's Prayer, what we're ultimately doing is communicating our need for Jesus. It's not just the next part of the service. It's not just the next part of the service. We are communicating our need for Jesus as His people. We are communicating our need. Number three, songs, right? He talks about it in verse 16, right? He says, teach and admonish with wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, There's this one pastor in in Reno says, says this about music. He's a worship pastor. His name is Mike Mumford. And he says, Music has a way of invading your soul without your permission. I'll say that one more time, because it's pretty good. Music has a way of invading your soul without permission. How does that apply on Sundays? We start with music on Sundays, right? Izzy, who leads our band, they start with music on Sundays because music is a primer of the heart. During the week, if you've had a, if you've had a rough day, or if you've had a long week, there's social media posts about it. Especially, I've only seen this for, for women, right? It's like, put your hair in a pineapple bun, put some gangster rap on, and deal with it, right? Like, in other words, like, put some music on, and you'll be able to do whatever it is you're supposed to be doing and with a pineapple bun, right? Uh, and there may not necessarily be the male equivalent, but dudes, you're not exempt from it, right? You might play a certain kind of music, a certain genre, or a specific band when it comes to to working out, and you got to do whatever it is you do when you work out. Maybe you have had a really rough week, and so, man, listening to some jazz, and man, just chills you out, brings you down, or maybe you've had a really hard season, and so when you play certain songs, it reminds you of a different time. 
The reason music is incredibly impactful is because it helps you to communicate, or it's, I should say, it helps communicate what you should be feeling. Right? That's part of the reason music tends to be so uh, influential and so impactful. It helps to communicate what you should be feeling. And, and maybe this is, this is more guys. And so when it comes to Sunday morning, guys are like, well, I don't want to sing because I'm a guy, right? You don't want to sing because what's ruling your heart is your pride, and you don't want to be vulnerable and exposed. That's ultimately what it is, right? That's why, that's why we don't want to sing. And I'm, I'm there. I get it. I'm, like, I'm, I'm calling out the dudes, like, and I have a mirror here, right? Like pride is what's ruling your heart at that moment, and you don't want to be, and maybe ladies, this might be you as well, right? And you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be exposed to your need for Jesus because your pride is what's ruling your heart. And the music Izzy and the band choose is taking you to a place where God just wrecked you, maybe worked in you, and is reminding you that he isn't distant, that he hasn't forgotten about you. That in fact he does love you and he calls you his and he calls you redeemed and he reminds you of that work in which he did in you during that season. Right? And so that's why, that's why music is so influential. And so that's why we start our time with music. See, everything that we do, all of these rhythms, the preached word, prayer, songs, all of these are gospel-centered rhythms rooted in Scripture and thousands of years of tradition, right? And so when we're looking at starting with music, it's not just because that's the way it's always been. We're starting with music so that we can jumpstart the heart because, as I mentioned much earlier, we're not always ready to worship. We're not always prepared to worship when we come on Sundays, I don't know what your thing is. Maybe you got in an argument with your spouse on the way over here. Maybe you've had a really, really long week and you're stressed out about the deadlines you have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, right? Maybe you, maybe something happened and you're just not ready to worship. But the minute you hear one of the songs that the band played this morning, you like choke up, you clench, and you're just like, I'm going to go get some coffee, Right? And so you go do that because you don't want to feel vulnerable. You don't want to feel exposed. You don't want, you're rejecting the Spirit from working in you and exposing you and exposing your need for Jesus. That's why we start with music. That's also why we end with music to, to carry on our worship, right? To carry into what God is doing, what God is revealing. Because I'm pretty sure when you leave here, 99.9% of the time, you're not humming the sermon right? You're not humming the sermon, but you're humming some of the songs up here. That's why music is so impactful and influential. The next thing that we do, one of the other rhythms is that we have a weekly time of, of giving, of tithes and offerings. And so we, we look to, uh, what is it, 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In addition to that, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, Paul says to take up an offering, to set money aside and take up an offering at the beginning of the week. And so here we are on Sunday. But giving is much more than finances. Giving is a testimony and the act of worship. Remember, the goal is to have Christ rule in our 
hearts. And so when we go into a rhythm and a time of giving, it's a testimony of worship that we are worshiping God, that our hearts are primed. It's a testimony of transformation that we relinquish control, the control that we think we have. And it's a testimony of trust in God. So it's not just another part of the service. It's part of our worship together, and it is a public testimony. A public testimony of transformation and a public testimony of trust to Christ. That's why we do weekly giving. In addition, we have, uh, I should have done this the other way, confession, repentance, and communion. So I'll start with confession and repentance. And so after the sermon, we we go into a time of communion. But before we go into that time of communion, we go into a time where we confess our sin, where we repent of our sin and place place our trust in Jesus. And so this is James 4.8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James addresses two things. He is addressing the external behavior, cleanse your hands. That's the external behavior. And he's also addressing the internal condition of your heart when he says, purify your heart. So when we confess our sins, not only are we making uh, evidence of of what we've done, we are also confessing and repenting of of the heart condition that we have. We are confessing and repenting about what is ruling our heart at that moment so that the peace of Christ would dwell richly in us. And so when we confess and we repent of our sin, we are placing our trust in Jesus. We are reminded of who he says we are. We are reminded of his work, not ours. And it leads us into communion. The breakdown of communion is union with God and union with one another, right? And so this is Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. So he writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a time of remembrance. It's a time of celebration, and it's a time of anticipation. Right? During communion, we're reminded that salvation is a gift And we have done nothing to obtain it. And so when we look at the first part, union with God, we approach him during communion to acknowledge and recognize that we did nothing to be gifted this salvation. We did nothing to obtain this salvation. In fact, in some churches still, and in many church uh, traditions or historical traditions, the church would come forward on communion. They would get on their knees and they would be given the bread. They would be given the wine as a symbol that they did nothing to earn it. Salvation is a gift. You did nothing to obtain it. And so when we have communion with God, we are recognizing our deepest need for Jesus. The second thing is we have union with one another. And so, yeah, we have four stations, and that's cool. And sometimes we're still bumping shoulders. Sometimes we got to cut in front of one another to get back to our seat. Sometimes it's a little chaotic, and we don't know if we should go to the right. We don't know if we should just turn around, go back, and get in someone else's face. And part of the reason uh, we haven't really worked on that logistically, or part of the reason I think we haven't worked on that logistically, and I would add that I don't want to work on that logistically. 
Here's why. Life is messy, and the church is messy, right? The point of communion is that we are coming to union with God as the saints, as his disciples, and that's always going to be messy. It's going to be weird. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. The logistics really don't make sense, and that's okay, right? And that's okay. So yeah, when we have communion in a couple of minutes, you're going to bump someone's shoulder. Just look at them and say, it's okay, (laughs) right? Just look at them and say, it's okay. One other thing that I didn't list on here is, is we, we have uh, multiple uh, people and teams that serve on Sunday mornings. Everything from Sunday teams here on the first floor to those that serve in kids ministry and sound in production. Here's why that's so vital. It's not just because, oh man, we need them, right? When you walk in, especially if you're a visitor, when you walk in, our desire is that you first experience the gospel before you hear it. Because you are right? You're going to experience it by someone welcoming you. You're going to experience it when someone takes your kids and say, man, we got them. This is what we do in kids ministry. Come up and see them afterwards when we're done, whatever that looks like. You experience it when someone helps you up with coffee, maybe answers your question and plugs you into community groups or serving teams, or maybe just gives you information to the, about the church, right? That's all part of the experience that we want you to have in addition to your heart being jump-started by music and in addition to you hearing the proclaimed gospel via the preached word. So serving is a big deal for us. And then the last one is, is the benediction, right? At the end... Uh, after Izzy and the band play their last song, I'll come up and I'll, and I'll say one last thing, right? And uh, here's, here's where we get the benediction from. This is 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. And so he writes, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Here's why we do the benediction. This is where we get the benediction from. Here's why we do the benediction. <clears throat> the Greek definition of, of, of what it is to have a benediction is it's not just a blessing. In other words, I'm coming up here and I'll give you one last verse that ties into what we're talking about today. And it's not me just blessing you as you go to lunch. There is a response on the church's side in light of the benediction. And the response is that you will live out what you learned today, Monday through Saturday. That is the response of the benediction from the church. So it is not merely a blessing, it is also a response. And so that's why we do it. And so all of that to say... Everything that we do on Sunday is not just because that's the way it's been done. Everything we do is specific to gospel-centered rhythms that point you to your need for Jesus so that you worship Him loudly, so that you worship Him vulnerably, and so that you worship Him openly. These rhythms help shape you so that you can carry out your life Monday through Saturday. Sorry. And we conclude our time at verse 17. That scared me. Verse 17. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Sunday 
the Sunday gathering is meant to help shape us in our worship of Jesus. Now, sometimes, man, we're out of town, emergencies, holidays, I get it. Sometimes we can't be here on Sunday. I've seen it. Sometimes that, that, applies, that applies to me too, right? Emergencies, stuff like that happen. And if you don't attend on the Sunday gathering, you're like, you know what? I just don't really want to go. I don't really want to be a part of that. Um, whatever your excuse is. And I mean that if it's not something grave. Whatever your excuse is. Look to Hebrews 10, where the writer says, don't neglect the gathering as some do. If you desire to grow in the peace of Christ, it applies not just to you individually, but it applies to you, to us corporately. Okay? So don't neglect the gathering like some do. And so we use and have Sunday mornings to help shape us in our worship of Jesus through gospel-centered rhythms so that our hearts are aligned with His will, so that anything we do Monday through Saturday, right? And here's what I would add. Here's a quick side note. That doesn't mean that after we leave here today, you're like, I got it. I don't need to open my Bible. You need to open your Bible, okay? You need to open your Bible. What today should expose is not just the primer for your heart, but your need for Jesus. And so as you walk through the week, everything you do or say now is done to bring him glory. Everything you do now is to bring him glory. Because your morning routine, the Sunday morning, this is Sunday morning, your morning routine is meant to help shape you so that you can tackle the rest of the week. Right? So it's meant to help you bring him glory. And the, and the beauty about bringing him glory throughout the week is that we are reminded that we didn't obtain anything. It was all given to us by him. And so everything and anything we do is meant to bring him glory. And so I would close our time with what I actually preached on two weeks ago in Psalm 115, where the writer says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, as we close our time uh, this morning, Lord, my prayer is that we would be reminded that part of our identity means that we are worshipers of you. And things, particularly Sunday morning, it's aim is to help shape us and conform us into the image of your son Jesus. And so Lord, let everything we do at the Sunday gathering be done not just with faithful hearts, but with vulnerable ones for the purpose of bringing you glory, for the purpose of aligning our wills with yours, and making your name great. And Lord, as we continue our time of worship and we walk toward tithes and offerings, Lord, let us give not just faithfully, but let us give as a testimony of transformation and trust in your son Jesus.
Let us give cheerfully. Let us give generously as we see we have seen your son do on the cross. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.